ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, welcome to the Mr. Cemetery Show. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. It's showtime. Show. I'm your host and future ghost, Mr. Cemetery. This is the show that features tales from the past and other creepy events. And we take you on a deep dive journey through interesting stories of people's lives that once lived among us. This is episode number four, the Halloween 2020 episode. Speaking of episodes, don't forget to give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps the show more than you know. So, let's talk about our first subject, and that is Halloween. The celebration of Halloween was extremely limited in the colonial New England area because of the rigid Protestant belief system there. Halloween was much more common in Maryland and the southern colonies. As the beliefs of customs in different European ethnic groups and American Indians meshed, a distinctly American version of Halloween began to emerge. The first celebrations include play parties, which were public events that held and celebrated the harvest. Neighbors would share the stories of the dead, and tell each other's fortunes, and sing and dance. Colonial Halloween festivities also featured the telling of ghost stories and mischief-making of all kinds. By the middle of the 19th century, Annual autumn festivals were common, but Halloween was not yet celebrated everywhere in the country. In the second half of the 19th century, America was flooded with new immigrants. These new immigrants, especially the millions of Irish fleeing from Irish potato famine, helped to popularize the celebration of Halloween nationally. Borrowing from European traditions, Americans began to dress in costumes and go to house to house asking for food and money, a practice that eventually became today's trick-or-treat tradition. The young women believed that on Halloween, they could define the name and or appearance of their future husband by doing tricks with yarns and apple parings or mirrors. In the late 1800s, there was a move in America to mold Halloween into a holiday, more about community and neighborly get-togethers that were about ghosts, pranks, and witchcraft. At the turn of the century, Halloween parties for both children and adults became the most common way to celebrate the day. Parties focused on games, food, seasons, and festive costumes. Parents were encouraged by newspapers and community leaders to take anything from frightening to gory out of the Halloween celebrations. Because of these efforts, Halloween lost most of its superstitious and religious overtones by the beginning of the 20th century. By the 1920s and 30s, Halloween became a secular of community-centered holidays with parades and town-wide Halloween parties that featured entertainment. Despite the best efforts of many schools and communities, Vandalism started to plague some celebrations in many communities during this time. Town leaders had limited vandalism and Halloween had evolved into a holiday directed mainly towards young children. Due to the high numbers of young children during the 50s and the baby boom, parties moved to town civic centers and in the classrooms and homes where they could be more easily accommodated. Between 1920 and 1950, the century's old practice of trick-or-treating was also revived. Trick-or-treating was an inexpensive way for the entire community to share the Halloween celebration. 
In theory, families could also prevent tricks from being played on them by providing the neighborhood children with little small treats. Thus, a new American tradition was born and has continued to grow. Today, Americans spend an estimated of $6 billion annually on Halloween, making it the country's second largest commercial holiday after Christmas. Speaking of commercial success, scary Halloween movies have a long history of being box office hits. Classic Halloween movies, which include Halloween, based on the 1978 original film directed by you know, John Carpenter. It's considered a classic horror film, down to its spooky soundtrack, and inspired 11 other films in the franchise, and other slasher films like Scream, Nightmare on Elm Street, and Friday the 13th. The more family-friendly Halloween movies include Hocus Pocus, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Beetlejuice, and It's a Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Speaking of Charlie Brown, fuck you, Apple. After 54 years of airing a you know, yearly on TV, you want people to pay for a fucking classic movie? You corporate fucks, screw you. Just fucking screw you. Anyway, back to what I was talking about. The American Halloween tradition of trick-or-treating probably dates back to the early All Souls Day parades in England. During the festivities, poor citizens would beg for food and families would give them pastries called soul cakes in return for their promises to pray for families' dead relatives. Distribution of soul cakes was encouraged by the church as a way to replace the ancient practices of leaving food and wine for roaming spirits. The practice, which was referred to as going to souling, was eventually taken up by the children who would visit the houses of their neighborhood and be given food, money, and ale. The tradition of dressing up for Halloween has both European and Celtic roots. Hundreds of years ago, winter was a certain and frightening time. Food supplies often ran low, and for many people afraid of the dark, the short days of winter were full of constant worry. On Halloween, when it was believed that ghosts would come back to the earthly world, people thought that they would encounter ghosts if they left their homes. To avoid being recognized by these ghosts, people would wear a mask when they left their homes after dark so that the ghosts wouldn't mistake them for fellow spirits, because, you know, that seems to work. On Halloween, to keep the ghosts away from their homes, people would place bowls of food outside their homes, you know, to prevent them from entering. Seems to work, yeah. Halloween has always been a holiday filled with mystery, magic, and superstition. It began as a Celtic in the summer festival, which people felt especially close to their deceased relatives and friends. For these friendly spirits, they set a place at the dinner table. They left treats at the doorsteps, and alongside the road, they lit candles to help you know, loved ones find their way back to the spirit world. Today's Halloween ghosts are often more scary and fearsome as our customs and superstitions, well, they're scarier too. We avoid crossing paths with black cats, afraid they might give us bad luck. This idea has its roots in the Middle Ages, when many people believed that witches avoided being seen by turning themselves into black cats. We try not to walk on their ladders for the same reason. This superstition may have come from the ancient Egyptians, who believed that triangles were sacred. It also may have something to do with the fact that walking under a leaning ladder tends to be a little bit unsafe, but who knows. And around Halloween especially, we try to avoid breaking mirrors, stepping on cracks, you know, spilling salt, those little things. But what about the Halloween traditions and beliefs that today's trick-or-treaters have forgotten about? Many of these rituals focused on the future instead of the past, and the living instead of the dead. In particular, many had to do with helping young women identify their future husbands by reassuring them that they would someday, with the luck by next Halloween, be married. In the 18th century Ireland, 
a matchmaking cook might bury a ring in her mashed potatoes on Halloween night, hoping to bring a true love to the diner who ate it. In Scotland, fortune tellers recommended that an eligible young woman name a hazelnut for each of her suitors, and then toss that nut into the fireplace. The nut that burned to ashes rather than popping or exploding, the story went, that was the future's husband. And some versions, this legend was opposite story. The nut that burned away symbolized a love that would not last. Another tale had it if a woman ate a sugary confection made of walnuts, hazelnuts, and nutmeg before bed on Halloween night, she would dream about her future husband. Young women tossed apple pills over their shoulders, hoping that the pills would fall on the floor in the shape of their future husband's initials. Some tried to learn about their future husbands by peering at egg yolks floating in a bowl of water and stood in front of mirrors in darkened rooms, holding candles and looking over their shoulders to see their husbands' faces. Other rituals, well, they were more competitive. At some Halloween parties, the first guest to find a burr on a chestnut hunt would be the first to marry. At others, the first successful apple bobber would be the first one down the aisle. And of course, whether you're asking romantic advice or trying to avoid seven years bad luck, each one of these Halloween superstitions relies on the goodwill of the very same spirits which the presence of the early Celtics felt so keenly of. Felt so keenly of. Guys, I'm super excited about our newest podcast partner, which is Sinister Coffee Company. Coffee isn't just for waking up in the morning, it's an experience. When you brew a cup of Sinister Coffee, they want you to have the best experience you've ever had. The beans are prepared in a small batch to ensure the perfect gourmet roast and ensure that you get the freshest coffee delivered right to your front door. The care that is given in those small batches is evident in every single cup of their premium roast coffee. Try Sinister Coffee today. You guys, this is amazing. So check it out and help out our podcast. Go to tinyurl.com slash Sinister Coffee and get your coffee fix. And how about your favorite podcast? Again, that's tinyurl.com slash Sinister Coffee. Are you looking for that special gift for yourself? that special someone, let me tell you about my friends over at Morbid Mistress. They have spooky hand soaps, to car air fresheners, to makeup, to even men's products available. I love their products, especially their pain relief. Let me tell you what, their CBD pain relief is amazing. They don't contain any THCs and don't have that nasty chemical smell. They smell amazing. I apply it to my lower back every night and the pain is gone. So check out all the Morbid Mistress products. Head over to tinyurl.com slash morbidmistress and use product code Mr. Cemetery at checkout. And you can save 5% off your order. That's right, 5% off your order. Again, that code is Mr. Cemetery, mr.cemetery to save 5%. In this segment, I bring you a story of a cemetery article I found in the news. This story comes from Newsweek.com. On October 8, 2020, police in Tennessee say a man caused almost $30,000 in damage to a cemetery. 
A witness called the Knox County Sheriff's Office on Monday to report a homeless man that had been vandalizing the cemetery at Huckleberry Springs Church in Knoxville. While staying in the vicinity, deputies found 34-year-old Danny Frazier, whom they encountered in the same location the day before. Along with broken headstones and dug up spots in the ground, why did he do it? Well, Frazier admitted to causing the damage in an attempt to resurrect his grandmother, who was buried at the site. He is held on a $20,000 bond and charged with a felony vandalism. So I looked this up, $10,000 to $60,000 in damage is a class C felony. He'll get 3 to 15 years in prison and a $10,000 fine. I think he should get more, but that's just me. Immortalized in Stone This week's episode of Immortalized in Stone, it's a great one. I, ho- I hope you enjoy it. This is the story of Perman Eugene Gilbert, born July 23rd, 1935, died May 22nd, 1982, buried in the Felicity, Ohio Cemetery. Perman was much loved in the community, a respected business owner, and a proud father. He was married to his wife, Joanne, and he was the father of four. He had a brother named Vernon, and he was 46 years old when he died. Now how he died, well, this is the mystery. On May 23, 1982, in a small town of Hammersville, Ohio, a 15-year-old boy made a terrible discovery. A man's body nude, beaten, and was dumped on the side of the road. That night, the man would be identified as Perman Gilbert, an appliance repairman who lived several miles from the place where his body was found. The most puzzling thing about Perman Gilbert's murder was that he appeared to those who knew him as to need a normal life. But in this small town, it was not long before phrases like organized crime, drug trafficking, and jealous husband would begin to be heard. Perman had a passion for flying in a small plane, but he made a living fixing household appliances during the week. Perman worked for a large company, but on Saturdays he worked for himself and scheduled his own house calls. According to his wife Joanne, the Saturday of Perman's murder was, he was hesitant about leaving for work. On the morning of Saturday, May 22, 1982, Perman left for service calls near his hometown in Hammersville, Ohio. The service calls took him to several towns in southern Ohio, including Mount Orb, Georgetown, and Aberdeen. After finishing these calls, he crossed the Simon Kitten Bridge into Maysville, Kentucky, and stopped at a local market. The woman at the checkout counter encountered Perman in the past. That day, she noticed nothing unusual about his demeanor. After going to the market, Perman went to a nearby flower shop. He asked if a specific employee was working, but he was told she didn't start till 4 p.m. He said that he would turn later, and because the employee knew the type of flowers that he wanted. However, he never returned to the shop, and he was never seen again. He told his wife Joanne that he'd be home around 3 p.m., but he never arrived. Joanne was concerned, but was unable to look for Perman because she was looking after her small children. Around 3 a.m., she called one of her friends asking of Perman's whereabouts. His movements were unknown from when he left the flower shop until the next day, when he was found discovered beaten, shot to death, and lying naked on the side of the road. The area where he was found was just a few miles from his home. There were no cloth fibers in the two bullet wounds, so it's believed that he was naked from above the waist when he was shot. His van was found abandoned 22 miles from the spot where his body was found. Unidentified fingerprints and hairs were found in the van, and it's believed that they belonged to Perman's killer. 
His watch and toolbox were also found in the vehicle. However, his clothes, wallet, and an distinctive belt buckle had never been found. Police at first had absolutely no idea why he was murdered because he had no enemies. Within time, however, locals began to speculate he had been killed by a jealous husband or a drug distributor trying to gain access to his private plane. His brother Vernon believes he was killed as a warning not to testify against organized crime figures. The police, they have identified three possible scenarios that could lead to his murder. The first scenario is, he was murdered by drug distributors after he refused to use his plane to fly drugs to different dealers. Perman indeed had told his wife Joanne that drug dealers asked him to fly drugs for them before. However, he refused to take part in it. The second scenario is that he was killed for knowing too much about his brother Vernon's organized crime case. In February 1982, when Vernon was called to testify against organized crime, Perman stood by him. The actual hearings were close to the public, so Perman had to wait while his brother testified. He suspected that he was being followed while at the federal courthouse. The third scenario is that he may have been having an affair with a woman he worked for and was killed by her jealous boyfriend or husband. His job placed him in many houses alone with women. This theory would best match the evidence as he was shot naked and dumped without his clothes. However, Joanne did not believe the story, and to this date, no one knows who killed him. Well, that's all the time we have for today. I hope you enjoyed the show, and thanks for listening. The Mr. Cemetery Show is an independent production. 2020 artwork created by Mr. Cemetery. The opinions created in this podcast are ours and ours alone. Well, maybe yours too. We don't judge. If you like the show and would like to support us, visit us on Instagram at Mr. Cemetery. And keep spreading the word by sharing and reposting. All weirdos are welcome. Not into that social media stuff? Well, tell your co-workers, the media, or even that weird guy on the bus who keeps staring at you. And thank you, everyone. If it wasn't for you, we have no idea what we'd be doing with our lives. Seriously. If you have a story you'd like to submit, send to Show at gmail.com. Also, send any story ideas you have, or whatever you want to send. To reach out on the appearance of the show, Reach us at the Mrs. Cemetery Show at gmail.com. When you have a second, rate, review, and subscribe. It helps us move up in the podcasting world. Thanks for listening. And remember, stay creepy.